0: Holy Word to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now Pasher, the priest, son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of Yahweh, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of Yahweh. The next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, Yahweh does not call your name Pasher, but terror on every side. For thus says Yahweh, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. You shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of this city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon, and you, Pasher, And all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. O Yahweh, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I, cry, I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of Yahweh has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak in any more in his name, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him. Say, all my close friends watching for my fall, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But Yahweh is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed. For they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Yahweh of hosts who tests the righteous. Who sees the heart and the mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. Sing to Yahweh, praise Yahweh, for He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that Yahweh overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow, to spend my days in shame? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, grant mercy that instead of being repulsed by Jeremiah's sin, that we would see our own. Forgive us our cowardice, and may we imitate the prophet's boldness without giving way to complaint, trusting in you. And so bless your word now, Father, for that purpose, to the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. If you're hoping for more, that the more uncomfortable, Portions of Jeremiah might be left behind us with chapter 18 and 19. Chapter 20 proves sorely disappointing. Whereas the, chap- the, the discomfort of chapter 19 consisted in Yahweh's ear-tingling judgment, that of chapter 20 is in Jeremiah's complaint. We feel as though we're in the presence of a rebellious child... Publicly lashing out at their venerable father. Here we see Jeremiah both at his best and at his worst. Before he complains to Yahweh, he's bold. This complaint that we have here is the last of six instances that are called the Confessions of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. The others were found in eleven eighteen 18 through 20, 12, 1 through 6, 15, 10 through 21, chapter 17, verses 14 through 18, and chapter 18, verses 18 through 24. And in some of these, Jeremiah righteously laments, and in others, he sinfully complains. This particular complaint bears the most resemblance to that which we saw in chapter 15, verses 10 through 21, which, along with the complaint or lament in chapter 12, are the only two, the one in chapter 15, the one in chapter 12, are the only two where a rebuke follows the complaint. This lament, though no rebuke follows, Stands above, or should we say, stands far below all the others. Here we see Jeremiah at his lowest, in his darkest pit. I've argued before that though Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, fair enough, we shouldn't regard him as a weepy prophet. He's a sinner, true enough. And he doesn't need our imaginations to make him more so. He can do that all on his own. Over a ministry spanning 40 years. 40 tough years. 40 years of the darkest days of Israel's history. We have five such confessions. And on the basis of those... We want to look down on Jeremiah as a crybaby and think ourselves somehow superior because we haven't sunk to such depths. Well, if you look down on such a lament as below you, I'd ask, have you risen to such heights? Have you displayed such courage and such boldness as we see Jeremiah? Because if you've never been so high, I wonder if you can really understand such lows, and my point in all this is not to excuse Jeremiah in the least. I find his complaint repulsive. It makes me cringe. But God forgive me. When the sentiments of my heart. My attitude. If not my expressions. Are just as blasphemous and repulsive. Questioning. Demanding what I want us to see is instead of looking down on Jeremiah, to see our own cowardice. Our own complaining. And then in light of them, strive in hope of the same grace this prophet received to be as bold and courageous without the complaint on the other side. Our text opens by telling us that Pasher heard Jeremiah prophesying prophesying these things. Pasher was a priest and not just any priest. He was, we read, verse 1, chief officer in the house of Yahweh. The best guess as to what this entails is that Pasher was in charge of of security or maintaining order on the temple precincts. I think you get an idea of the kind of responsibility that fell to him from Numbers chapter 1. Numbers 1, 51 through 53, when the tabernacle is set out, the Levites is to set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. So I think what likely is involved here is that Pasher is over the guard. The the priests, the Levites that would be involved in this, we're not certain. But he's responsible, it appears, for maintaining order on the temple precincts. And So with that, remember how Jeremiah has spoken of the priests so far. We know Jeremiah is not chronological, but you get a sense of how Jeremiah has been speaking of the priests up to this point. Chapter 2 and verse 8, says, The priests do not know Yahweh, they don't seek Him. Declaring the word of Yahweh, again, chapter 2, verse 26, he says that they are to be shamed like a caught thief. Chapter 5 and 31, they all rule according to their own direction. Chapter 6 and chapter 8, both, verse 13, he says that they are greedy and they deal falsely. They ply a trade, though they're without knowledge, chapter 14, verse 18, and they plot to silence God's true prophet, chapter 18 and verse 18. So Jeremiah has been saying these kinds of things about the leadership, the priest in particular, pointedly about the priest. And So here Jeremiah is, and he's now on this man's turf. He's in the sphere of his jurisdiction. And before we recall what these things are that Pasher heard, let's recall building up to them the events that have led to this. So in chapter 18, Jeremiah receives word from Yahweh. He's to declare to the people that Yahweh is the potter, they are the clay, he may do with them as he pleases. He's sovereign. And yet, they are responsible. They should amend their evil ways. They should return to Yahweh. They reply, chapter 18, verse 12, this is in vain. We will follow our own plans, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart? Jeremiah then shares a further word of judgment. And in reply to that one, they say, chapter 18, verse 18, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Following this, chapter 19, is to take a hardened clay vessel, not a soft, malleable, anyone, a hardened one, And go out to the potsherd gate. And to take with him some of the elders from the priest, from among the people. uh, The the same leaders that have spoken against him, mind you. He's to take them to the potsherd gate. Which overlooks the valley of the son of Hinnom. Where their most horrid of idolatries takes place. Sacrificing their children in worship of Molech and Balaam. Baal, excuse me. Essentially, God is commanding his prophet to play with matches in the munitions room. Not a modern one with centerfire cartridges, but one with powder kegs all about him and grenades with long fuses on him. It reminds me of those uncomfortable moments, at least in my viewing. You may find them humorous whenever the the victim has the earpiece no one else can see and has to do whatever he's told or say whatever he's told to say and suffer the consequences except in this instance it's no laughing matter it's life and death for all the parties involved jeremiah and those that he's speaking to and the result is as expected Pasture beats him, puts him into the stocks. verse 2. The beating likely consisted of, of that public flogging, according to Deuteronomy 25.3, something short of the allowed 40 lashes. Though, of course, we see without the required trial. And we can't be certain what the stocks were here, but the word itself gives the impression of twisting, turning, contortion. It was uncomfortable. So the plot has been to silence Jeremiah. And now, once they rip the duct tape off, effectively, chapter 3, uh, verse 3, he's released from the stocks. What does he do? He starts talking again. But even more astounding than that, it is directly aimed at Pasher himself. God doesn't rename on a whim whenever he, because he likes the sound of a cool name, whatever's hip. He renames Abraham, and it's a sign of blessing, and those blessings followed. He renames Pasher, it's a sign of cursing, and the curse is certain to follow. We don't know exactly what Pasher means. The, the best guess I've seen, as far as the etymology that might be involved in the meaning, is something like fruitful all around which would be really striking then if his name is turned, turned from fruitful all around to terror on every side. Blessing everywhere to curse everywhere. Pasher is named terror on every side. And though, though it's immediately obvious the terror that's on every side, we're also told that Pasher will be a terror. And how that is, I don't think becomes clear until verse 6. But the terror is immediately plain and obvious. Pasher will look on, verse 4, while the sword of the enemy kills his friends. Takes his friends, causes them to fall. All Judah will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon to be struck by the sword or carried into captivity, verse 4. Until this point, you remember that the threat that's coming against Jerusalem has been vaguely the north. This is the first time Babylon's named, and it's named four times in rapid succession. And then further, all the wealth of this city, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, and this means all that they've gained by their greed and oppression, all of it's to be plundered. And Pasher will himself go into captivity, and he will die in Babylon along with his friends that survived, verse 6. This is to happen to all those to whom Pasher has prophesied falsely. This is how he's a terror, to himself and to his friends, by his lies, which compounds his guilt Which causes him to be blind to his sin and fail to repent. He proves then to be to himself and to his friends who believe him a terror. By his false prophecies. What would these false prophecies be? We don't have any specific instance of what Pasher was saying. But I think it's plain that it's his being complicit along with all the leadership and saying things like... Chapter 6 verse 14, chapter 8 and verse 11, peace, peace when there is no peace. It's objecting to judgment with words like the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, as if the mere presence of the temple somehow would shield them and make ludicrous any idea of disaster leveling the city. It's speaking falsely of Yahweh with such words as we see in chapter 5 and verse 12. He will do nothing, no disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. And because Pasher was complicit in such deceit, he will prove a terror to himself and to his friends who believe him. So, with this, can you see why they wanted to shut him up? Why he was beaten? Why they wanted to silence him. One commentator writes that here we see the priest who turns out to be himself a false prophet against the true prophet who might have been a priest. If Jeremiah is true, they are false. He is the light to their darkness. He exposes them as frauds. So they want to silence him. And how many times then, with this episode, have we seen Jeremiah hit, and yet he speaks? And we will see him hit again, and yet he will continue to speak. This is the prophet in public. And he's admirable, he's commendable in this. But Jeremiah is outstanding among the prophets in this regard. In giving us a window into the agony of... And the despair of his private prayer. We see his public preaching. but He allows us to see his wrestling in private prayer. As David is to the kings in this regard, so Jeremiah is to the prophets. Providing us what John Calvin called an anatomy of the soul. It's my contention that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, not because he was more whiny than any of the others, but because he discloses the condition of his heart through these trials. So we see the glory along with the gory. We see the beautiful along with the ugly. The prophet's prayers turn us then from looking in admiration at the prophet preaching. To the preaching of the prophet. For this we should not look down on Jeremiah. But be thankful that he directs our gaze to the word of Yahweh. Instead of the one proclaiming it. With many of our heroes we only see the public side. You've heard John MacArthur preach. But have you seen him struggling in prayer? You see a good face that I put on. But have you heard the prayers full of unbelief, even blasphemies, that I've poured out to my Lord? Don't doubt that there are always two sides to such a coin. And often, very often, I don't doubt that those who have stood on the highest hills of victory have also been those who have wrestled in the darkest pits. So keep this in mind as we turn our attention to Jeremiah's private pleas made public and scripturated for us. His lament has three parts you have the complaint of verses 7 through 10, then consolation and praise in verses 11 through 13. Ending with the cursing of verses 14 through 18. His complaint, verse 7, is that Yahweh has deceived him. The word you have for deceived is elsewhere, clearly carrying the connotation of seduced, enticed, allured, deceptively. Seduction. Not only has he been deceived, he says, but Yahweh is the stronger has overcome Him. In that equally uncomfortable prayer in Jeremiah chapter 15, we see a similar accusation. God has revealed Himself to His people as the fountain of living waters that they've rejected by hewing for themselves broken cisterns. He's the fountain of living waters. And in chapter 15, Jeremiah ask Yahweh, Will you be to me like a deceitful brook? Like waters that fail? Why does Jeremiah think he's been deceived? We might say his complaint is that he feels Yahweh has put him between a fire and a flame. Either a fire burns against him from without... Or a fire burns within him. For the word of Yahweh. He either gets burned for it. Or it burns within him. If Jeremiah speaks. He says he's a laughing stock. He's mocked. He cries out violence and destruction. And for this. He is held in derision. He becomes a reproach. And if Jeremiah decides not to speak, verse 9, uh, it says a fire is shut up in his bones that he cannot hold in. Jeremiah's conveyed this already with other language. Jeremiah chapter 15, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. You had filled me with indignation. Or chapter 6, 10 and 11. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of Yahweh is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of Yahweh. I am weary of holding it in. And so here, the prophet cannot hold in. What he is to speak. Because he hears many whispering. Terror is on every side. Or. hears many whispering. Such that terror is on every side. This could be taken. That they are now pinning the name on Jeremiah. That he put on Pasher. That is one way it could go. Or. It could be that. These two things are synonymous. Here is many whispering terrors on every side i think he's appropriating the language of david psalm 31 verse 13 because all my of all my adversaries i have become a reproach especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances those who see me in the street flee from me i've been forgotten like one who is dead i've become like a broken vessel For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Jeremiah's close friends scheme against him. God had warned Jeremiah of this in chapter 12 and verse 6. Even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. And so, from this complaint of Yahweh deceiving him, suddenly, unexpectedly, we burst from this dark pit to soar into the light. Of the consolation Jeremiah knows is his in Yahweh. And then even higher from that consolation into praise. It begins by drawing a contrast between his friends. And Yahweh being with him like a dread warrior. Verse 11. And this recalls God's promises to his prophet. Chapter 1 and verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Chapter 1 again, verses 17 through 19. Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, And its officials, its priests, and the people of the land, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares Yahweh to deliver you. And then, that previous complaint that's that's nearly as repulsive in chapter 15, following Yahweh's rebuke, He tells Jeremiah again, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you, declares Yahweh. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. And so because this is so, Jeremiah knows That his persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome him. They will be greatly shamed. They will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. Believing this then. He cries out to Yahweh. Who tests the heart and mind. Who tests the righteous. To let him see. God's vengeance upon them. Because he's committed his cause. To him. And that ending, repeats at large, Jeremiah's commendable confession in chapter 11. 11, 18 through 20. Yahweh made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds, but I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me, they devised schemes, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But O Yahweh of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Well there, Jeremiah wrote the same song. He wrote a song with the same words, but the tune was really different. And it's to that different tune that this complaint temporarily comes into harmony with. And even rises higher. Because from from this point we move on to praise. Jeremiah goes from godly contemplation in verse 11. To godly supplication in verse 12. To adoration in verse 13. Sing praise to Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, for He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. But then, just as abruptly as we rose to such heights, we sink down to even deeper depths. As we go from beginning with agonizing complaints to bitter cursing. What's happened? If we're honest with ourselves, I think we should... Some look at this and they think, this, this, these episodes can't happen one after, right after another. There's, there's so much complexity. If any of us are honest with ourselves, I think we understand this kind of complexity that can happen in a Prayer. How does this happen? I think a solid biblical answer as to how one can go from such adoration to cursing, a solid biblical phrase to explain this is that we lose heart. You remember the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 18? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will will He find faith on earth? Note specifically what Jesus is promising. He will grant to His elect, such that they need not lose heart, but should persist in prayer, justice. What is it that causes Jeremiah to lose heart here? What is he fretting over? It's this very issue. He's lost heart. Here you see the ugly bitterness that can overtake a soul. When they lose heart. Losing heart is the equivalent of unbelief. You see. And saints do you not see. That it can happen. In a moment. In an instant. As for these curses. Curses. The law forbid cursing one's father or mother upon penalty of death. Leviticus chapter 20. Jeremiah skirts as close as he can to that particular sin. He doesn't curse his mother, verse 14. He curses the day upon which his mother gave birth to him. He doesn't curse his father. He curses the man who declared to his father the good news that a son was born to you, verse 15. And that man is to be cursed because he did not kill. Lest anyone think this could be twisted to endorse abortion in any way, Jeremiah is calling for this man to be cursed. And this man being cursed would be doubly cursed because he has violated the law of God, you shall not murder. And what does Jeremiah say would happen if this man dealt with him so in the womb? He would kill him murder him these are expressions of the darkest of despair you go from one of the darkest judgments being boldly proclaimed to this dark despair being prayed you remember whenever job voiced his complaint he didn't build up to such language He started with it as His foundation. Job chapter 3. Let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of day terrify it. That day, that night... Let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no one let no joyful cry enter it. Or do you recall Elijah running in fear from Jezebel? Why? Because he's lost heart. And he doesn't believe. And in the depths of that pit, he says, It is enough now, O Yahweh. Take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. How are we to understand this kind of language? Derek Kidner gives, gives some good insight. What these curses convey, therefore, is a state of mind. Not a prosaic plea. The heightened language is not there to be analyzed. It is there to bowl us over. Together with other tortured cries from His and His his fellows suffered, these raw words in Scripture remain, lest we forget the sharpness of the age-long struggle or the frailty of the finest overcomers. But chiefly, I think we're to understand with these curses... A continued and heightened complaint against his God. Because it's Yahweh who told him. Chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. More than Jeremiah trying to skirt Cursing his father. He's masking. Cursing his God. And in light of that. The most astounding thing about this passage. Is not what Jeremiah says. The most astounding thing about this passage. Is what Yahweh doesn't say. There's no recorded answer, rebuke, or chastisement. It is a great mercy that Yahweh doesn't answer this prayer. For the answer would be one of damnation. If it were answered for what it deserved. Saints, when you cry out, in bitterness and agony, praise God that He doesn't answer your prayer. When our prayers question Him, praise His name that He doesn't answer us as we deserve. When we complain, He does not condemn. He will surely chasten, discipline, and sanctify. The rebuke may be stern. The discipline may sting. And the sanctification may come through the fires of affliction. But praise God for those who are truly His children. Whenever we act so spitefully, He does not disown us. We hear no rebuke. What do we see? There's clearly a break between chapter 20 and chapter 21. You can see it in this way. The Pasher, Chapter 20, is the son of Immer. The Pasher in chapter 21 is the son of Malchiah. So we're looking at Jeremiah at some point in the future in chapter 21. And what is he doing? He's proclaiming the word of Yahweh. This time, we'll see next time we gather, Lord willing, it's even solicited by the leaders. Now, I don't think Jeremiah is under any delusion, though he might be hopeful. I don't think he's under any delusion that this might not possibly end up in his being afflicted again. Which makes it all the more admirable that at some point in the future, Jeremiah is still declaring the word of Yahweh. The word burns in him and must find vent. And so yes, admire Jeremiah's tenacity. But more than that, know that the only reason why, you still find the prophet speaking in chapter 21. It's not owing to anything in the prophet himself. You've seen the prophet left to himself in chapter 20. Why is he still speaking? Because of the grace of our God. And the word burning within him. That must find some release in obedience. Saints, know this the Word of God is a bigger deal than you or me. God will ensure that His Word does not return to Him void, but accomplishes all His purpose. They may silence the prophet by taking his life nevertheless the word of god will go forth though he suffer though we suffer he has promised to be with us to the end of the age he has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church So in your darkest despair, in your greatest agony, when you're tempted towards bitterness and resentment, when the cloud of unbelief darkens your sky, whatever you may suffer for righteousness sake, though you are no prophet, may His holy word burn within you and constrain you, compel you, propel you forward in obedience. Though He's speaking as an apostle and a minister of the gospel, may we all sense something of What Paul expresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. When we are faithless, He remains faithful. Let's pray. Father, grant great grace to such frail children. Not because we are great, but because our Father is. And in our sober moments, we would have you glorified. We thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with us. And that you work all things together for good. Even using our blunders and failures, our sins, our wretched, horrible sins. Using such ugly, blasphemous sins such as Jeremiah displays here to sanctify us. And so, Father, instead of cowardice, grant courage. Instead of complaining, grant praise. And may we stand firm. Sanctify us by Your Word. Your Word is truth. May we hide it in our heart that we might not sin against You. May it burn within us, compelling us towards obedience.